absolute scream. <laughs> Are you excited? Yes, it is the last episode of season two. It is. But uh, what a season. It's been amazing. We've had so much fun. I've tried so many new gins. Yeah, speaking of which, what have you got there in your glass today, Matthew? What have I got in my glass? Well, let me tell you. It is the Isle of Harris gin, which has actually crept up the rankings into my top gins. This is so exciting. Now, I can't try it because I'm desperately ill. Uh, look at the word desperately and see a little peaky. No, <laughs> we've spent the last four episodes of this show just feeling really <laughs> ill. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, I'm fine now. I'm, I'm uh, happily ginned up to the eyes and... Uh, I am drinking this delightful Isle of Harris gin. Yeah, so you discovered this last week because you went... I have had it before, but I had not had it to the extent that I I had it on Saturday. I went to the uh, Scottish Gin Society's Taste the Winners event in Glasgow at Sloan's. And I'll tell you what, there is some fantastic gins up in Scotland. And I tried all ten of them multiple times just to make sure... And I think my favourite to come out of them was definitely the Isla Harris gin. It was beautiful. I was I was coming away there with a bottle of gin. Didn't care what to hell with the cost. Yeah. And it was all trade show prices, which was good. And I got a bottle of the Isle of Harris gin. And now it's made with sea kelp. And they've got their own diver that goes and harvests it. Wow. And it is genuinely one of my top... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say top three. Wow, really? Yeah, it might have knocked one out of the top three. Wow, okay, so it's the Isle of Harris. This is way up, in way Scotland, up in the I'm, north of Scotland. Yes, my auntie lives up there. Okay, so the Hebrides. Yes, the Hebrides, yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's in the most ornate bottle. The it is a beautiful, very clear, yeah. ridged bottle with copper flecks on the label. The fle- and each one of the labels is individual. And it with a lovely, uh, lovely cork stopper. And it smells... Like standing by the sea. It does smell like standing by in, the sea. And breathing in. That's <laughs> just fresh air. Oh, it's just super fresh air. And you, but you can smell the seaweed in it, and it, it makes it. It makes you feel like you're gonna you're gonna get chased off seagulls and steamy <laughs> chips. <laughs> okay, so tell me a bit about the flavour. Is it? Well, uh, is it strongly botanical? Oh, very. It, it's very heavily botanical, but like it, it, it's, oh God, I can't describe it until you taste it. Okay. You've never tasted it yet. Uh, it's absolutely, it is, it's like, it's like taking a massive breath in next to the sea. It's salty, it's it's like, the seaweed's there, but it's like, it's the air, it's not the seaweed. It's, oh, I can't even tell you how good this Well, go is. go and try, uh, Har- is it Harris Gin? Or Isle I- of Harris. Isle of Harris Gin. Isle of Harris Gin. I think it's... Uh, it's in there, like, it's in, I think I paid 37 quid. Mm. And while I was there, I did interview one of the reps from uh, Isle of Harris Gin. You did. Now, we're going to have those interviews. We haven't got time for those interviews today, but we will run those interviews at yeah, the beginning of next be the season. the first of next season. We will keep you posted as to when yeah. that is. But uh, it was a beautiful, uh, it was a beautiful event and the... Isla Harris rep was absolutely fantastic. Excellent. As were the reps from the winners... Eden Mill, congratulations. Congrats, Eden Mill. I do like Eden Mill. Eden Mill is a beautiful gin. Mm. And they had a new one, I Love Eden Mill gin, that tasted like drumstick lollies. Really? Yes, it was vanilla meringue and strawberry flavoured gin. Interesting. Do you know what? Like Novelty. I, yeah, I thought it was a novelty one. I was like, mmm. And I tasted it, I was like, do you know what, that is very tasty. Was it? Okay, yes. okay. It was very tasty. If you like drumstick lollies... I do, I bloody love a drumstick well, lolly. I bloody love this gin. In fact, I've got a, a drumstick air freshener hanging from the uh, rear view mirror of my car. You've got all <laughs> kinds hanging off your car. <laughs> yeah. It's mainly parts of your car. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> if any car manufacturers want to sponsor the, uh, sponsor the uh, Mother's Room podcast, then feel free to send us one. Volvo in particular. Preferably not Renault, thank yes. you. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Okay, so coming up on today's show, we have got the Great Big Gin Quiz Part 2. Part 2. It's become now like an end of season tradition where we're going to revisit some of the topics that we've looked at throughout the season. And I'll just smash it because I've definitely done your revision. I hope so, I hope so. I've got some tough ones coming up. You're a tough one. 
<laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We've also got an interview with Robbie and Jen from the South City Gin Club. Yes, international interviews. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that was uh, that was great talking to them. We learned all about American gins. So that coming up too, right? So drinks at the ready. Chin chin. It's time for the Great Big Gin Quiz. Quizzical about gin. <laughs> I am struggling, I'll warn you. I might be very pleasant to listen to over the next 20 minutes. As Sarah is pooly and I've told her to go to bed because it Dying, is... Dying, I think is the word. Yeah, Sarah is exaggerating for dramatic effect. She... It's proper flu. It's not proper flu. <laughs> right. Pooly lamb. I'm going to do my best. She's going to be a strong brave lion. Yeah. Right, so this is going to cover off some of the things that I wasn't able to cram into the previous episodes throughout the season. So I'm going to shoehorn them into this episode by turning it into a quiz. Quiz time. Yeah. What are you drinking there? Cream soda. And no added sugar cream soda. Yeah. That's how pooly she is, people. Yeah. And I am having a black currant and ginger poetic license and Clement's liqueur. That looks absolutely incredible. I'm so mm. envious. Yes, my, it, is, it is a delicious tasting one. Yeah, my body just, just couldn't take it, unfortunately. But well, I'll, um, I'll sniff it. Are you ready, Matthew Reed? When have I never been ready for a quiz? Okay. I think I think you're going to do fairly well. But we'll better. see. Okay. Don't make us look a fool. <laughs> so question number one relates to our episode on gin and the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And this is a go about a ghost story. So in the short story, Mr. Testator's Visitation, a ghostly man appears at the principal character's house, drinks all his gin and vanishes. Who wrote it? Was it Dickens? It was Dickens, yes. Good old Dickens. Yeah, this is hands down the weirdest story I've ever read. Basically, one Mr. Testator claims some mouldy old furniture from his cellar and decides to use it. Three years later, he's drinking gin alone at his home when a ghostly man arrives, claiming that the furniture is his. Now, Mr. Testator spills gin all over himself in panic and then goes to get this uninvited guest a glass and some sugar to join him in a, in a drink of gin. Now... I often go and get the sugar when it's gin time. Uh, well, this, we're talking Victorian gin here, so yeah. it, would have been, it would have been rough and in need of sweetening. So when he turns back round, he finds that his guest has downed the entire jug of gin while his back was turned. The man says he'll be back in the morning. He's leaving now. He'll be back in the morning to claim all his furniture never turns up. That's literally where the story ends. Now, I can't tell whether this story was meant to be some kind of true story or whether Dickens was using it as some kind of cautionary tale against perhaps A, theft and B, gin drinking. Because in Dickens' sketches by Boz, um, he does paint a really bleak cautionary tale of the Victorian gin palaces and he describes Mm. some of the terrible behaviour that go on in there. So I think this maybe was somehow trying to prove a point. It was a a cack-handed political statement. I think it might well have been, but it's, it's executed very strangely. But what we've forgotten during the story is that I got that right. You did. Yes. You get a point there, well done. Or me. Okay, this is still on the subject of our episode on gin, spirituality, supernatural and religion. Right. What botanical serves as a symbol for protection in Christian, Navajo and numerous other belief systems? Sage. It's not sage, although that's a good point because I believe sage is used... In, to burn, to ward off spirits? Yeah, I think it's as a, um, like a cleansing. Mm. Kind of a symbol of a cleansing. A cleansing, yes. Perhaps. Whereas it was actually juniper. Of course it was juniper. Why didn't I just guess juniper? Well, sage was 
a pretty good guest, to yeah, be I fair. Think, I mean, we've had some sagey gins. We have had some very sagey gins, yeah. yeah. But yeah, many Native Americans have traditionally used the berries of the juniper tree for spiritual, energetic and physical protection purposes. Also, in Christian history and art, it symbolises protection due to its branches being prickly and harsh and the aromatic sap can cause a rash kind of as a so it so it's used as a kind of like the idea of warding off mm. unwanted the unwanted um juniper was uh, an essential element in early monasteries so their branches were used to sprinkle the congregation with holy water because of the abundance of water that could be held by its needles after being dipped all right so not spiritual just practical <laughs> more practical but then in a more symbolic sense um it was referenced in the Bible. The Holy Family took shelter beneath the boughs of a juniper tree yeah. um, to hide from Herod's soldiers. Well, in Monty Python and the Life of Brian, yeah. when the man that gets the vow of silence is taking the vow of silence and he shows up, yeah, and he goes, "We are we have travelled far and we are hungry." He goes, "There is nothing here to." He goes, "But what about those juniper bushes?" Anyway. There you go. <laughs> and they go, oh, a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> They're all I've bloody got to eat. <laughs> well, that's that's amazing yeah. because um, I did find, and I won't go into all of them, but I did find numerous references to juniper in the Bible. Um, what, what I did find out, though, is that that was probably a different type of plant than the juniper that we would consume in really? Europe. Yeah. It was more like this crackly, very dry, what they call a broom a type of plant called a broom mm -hmm. which produced uh, white flowers but it was called juniper mm -hmm. yeah well it's just a juniper berry son I think well perhaps well, I wonder if there's any of the ancient juniper left to make an ancient gin yeah I wonder if you could even make gin from it I don't even know if it's edible to be honest mm -hmm. I think maybe Monty Python were taking uh, artistic license no no it was all a true story oh right. was it I see yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, question number three comes from our episode on the drinker's vernacular. Question the third. Question the third. Which gin cocktail derives its name from a tool for drilling small holes, a word which is also used figuratively to describe something as sharp or piercing? Um, what was a cocktails? A gimlet. Oh, bloody gimlet, isn't it? Mmm. So, another theory... Sounds like a character from Lord of the Rings. It does, doesn't it? Gimlet. Yeah. Another theory on the origin of the Gimlet's name is that it may have been named after the British Royal Navy surgeon, Rear Admiral Sir Thomas Gimlet, who allegedly introduced this drink as a means of inducing his messmates to take lime juice as an anti-scurvy medication. Mm. Taste. Yeah. Tasty. Yeah. The Navy sounds like a right boozed uh, cruise, oh, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Sounds like a right laugh. I know. <laughs> um, question number four, mm -hmm. still on the subject of the drinker's vernacular. In that episode, we talked about the origin of the words gin and juniper. Yes. But what other popular gin botanical comes from the Greek word chorus, meaning bedbug? Oris root? Chorus, oris. That's where I came from, that. On the right tracks, though. Coriander. It is coriander, yes. And this was literally on account of its scent. Apparently, when uh, crushed and smelt, it smells a bit like bedbugs. Uh, yeah. Who's smelling bedbugs? The tiny on there? I guess in, in multitudes, they, they, they emit an aroma. Yeah. Sweaty bedbugs. Yeah, but coriander smells really nice to me. Mm. Like bedbugs and toast. Mm. Bedbug curry. Mm. Mm. Delish. Question number five, and this harks back to our episode on gin and literature. Now, question five and six are two literary references that I excluded from the show because they're not actually from literature, they're actually from television. But I'm going to ask them here because they're quite entertaining. In the Simpsons episode, Homer versus the 18th Amendment, it features Homer and Bart mixing and brewing alcohol, including gin, in various bathtubs in the basement. Mm. And Excellent episode. <laughs> then secretly supplying and distributing it to Moe's Tavern via an elaborate delivery system of, uh, I think it's bowling balls, yeah, isn't it? I now, uh, there's a scene in which you see their basement with all the alcohol bubbling away in all their baths. 
what's inaccurate about that scene? And I'm thinking about the term bathtub. Gym. Oh yeah, but the bathtub. They didn't actually make them in bathtubs. They just used. They had to use the bathtub to fill in the get the water because the tubs were too big. Yes, exactly. You oh. can't make gin. You can't distill anything in an open container. Yeah. You have to have a closed container in order yeah. to do it. It is an excellent episode. That one of the best episodes of The Simpsons. Really, second only to the monorail episode. Everyone talks about the monorail episode. It's one of the best episodes of any TV program ever. Times times a million. Okay, I vow to watch it. Vowed. <laughs> um, okay, in I'm Alan Partridge. Yes. One of the best programmes of all time. Classic British comedy if of you the live, 90s. Yes, if you're live, living in any other country but Britain and you've not seen Alan Partridge, there is absolutely no way you can carry on until you've seen it now. No, I think if you're a fan of the American Office, for yeah. example, um, you'll love Alan Partridge because it's he's, all about oh, a spoof. He's an absolute genius, the man. Yeah. That Steve Coogan's a genius. Just watch... watch Alan Partridge, you'll thank us later. So there's an episode of I'm Alan Partridge in which Alan decides to make a promotional video while staying at the Linton Travel Tavern. He orders a gin and tonic and a Baileys at the bar, but in order to appear manly in front of his colleagues, he then quickly orders a pint of beer as well. When asked why he has such a weird combination of drinks, he claims that this is a well-known cocktail called what? The Lady Boy. It is the Lady Boy, yeah. 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 Um, I get it. Pint of beer, the gin and tonic, there's a lady. <laughs> Brilliant. And I really wanted to include this because I think it's a really good example of how gin's status has changed so much since... That was made 90s, uh, in the 1990s. What would it, it would probably be in the mid mid 90s? Yeah, mid 90s. Uh, I remember. I remember Partridge coming out when I was at school. Yeah, like gin being seen as a ladies' drink. Yeah, so a, a, a man being embarrassed that he'd ordered a gin and tonic in mm-hmm. front of his colleagues. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, question number seven is about the prohibition years. During Prohibition, the legal exemption on selling alcohol as a medicine led to a windfall for doctors and pharmacists. The Walgreens Drug Company of Chicago grew from 20 drugstores in 1920 to how many in 1929? I'll give it to you to the nearest 50. Okay. 620. Oh, 525. Oh, Bugger. Yeah, but that was a, that was such a good guess. Maybe I'll give that to you. You can't. No, no. Let's play by the rules. No. Okay. Yeah. Let's play by the yeah. rules. Um, I thought this was really interesting. The proliferation from twenty to five hundred and twenty-five within the course of nine years. Yeah. That's pretty massive. Now. It's like Nando's. <laughs> it is a bit like Nando's, I guess. Yeah. Um, but to this day, and I find this quite amusing, to this day, Walgreens still insists that the rapid growth was due to a combination of effective management, its tasty brand of ice cream, and the invention of a malted milkshake in 1922. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And not the booze. Not the booze. No. 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 Imagine, imagine Gordon's, just like green glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We only wanted yeah. for the glass, yeah. yeah. Now, this next question relates to our episode on the gin glossary. What is common gin? This harks back to the sort of 18th and 19th century. Have a wild stab. Um, Common gin uh, is homemade gin. Pretty much. I'm going to give you that. it's, It's kind of adulterated, bad, cheap gin that was doled out in... Kind of the, the common ale houses. Yeah. Uh, generally, if it was common gin, it meant that it contained um, oil of turpentine. Good lord. Yeah. There's a recipe for it in the gin dictionary that's um, containing oil of turpentine, juniper, fennel, caraway seeds, and bay salt. I don't know what bay salt is. It sounds absolutely disgusting. Oil of turpentine. So, was it actually like deadly? It would Or could we make that now and get away with a glass? It would have been very bad for your health. You, yeah. you know, you'd have probably got things like stomach ulcers. Yeah. Um, you might have got um, alcohol poisoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, turpentine was used because, and I think I've mentioned this before, but there's a common ingredient in juniper and oil of turpentine, which is this... Um, it's called pinene mm-hmm. and it makes oh, it yes, gives pine, it that yeah, yeah. kind of piney fresh yeah. 
sort of flavour. So it would have improved the flavour, but it would have been a very impure alcohol. Yeah. That's what I said, impure alcohol. Yeah. Next. Question nine. What is the definition of navy strength gin? Uh, navy strength gin. I know this one. Mm-hmm. The What it has to be. Yes. Yeah, well, it's is it 57 and above? I'm going to give you that. Yeah, but the reason it's got to be that is because it's got to be able to spill onto gunpowder and the gunpowder's still got a light if it's wet with it. Yes, exactly that. That's, I love that fact. <laughs> That's why I remember That it. was a great fact. And um, you're right. A Navy Strength Gin is any gin bottled at 100% old British proof, which is 57.15% ABV. But generally, in reality, this means that anything between 57 and 58% ABV. Many distillers will use their standard recipe for their Navy Strength recipe, but then add less water to the Navy Strength version, and while some will have a different recipe altogether. Where less water is added, the botanicals will have a stronger flavour, so you may notice that Navy Strength gin generally is more flavourful. Yes. Now, I found that. What was it we had that? We had that Perry's Tot. Um, yeah. Uh, from the Boutique Gin Company and I just found that so botanical and I was really surprised because I thought oh this is just going to be blow your head off yeah, pure yeah, alcohol I, I like, I like the, the, you know the cold it makes your tongue cold when you breathe in yeah <gasps> like that, uh. exactly but I was really surprised to find how really flavoursome it was and I think you said the same about the the Yorkshire Dales the Yorkshire Dales the, yeah, the army strength one yeah. and the navy strength one were absolutely beautiful yeah so flavourful yeah yeah, I think they've got. They must because I think they come from a military background. I think they've got like they must have a special recipe. Yes, yeah. And oh, good, so so good. Like yeah. I just had a tiny shot of it, even though like I shouldn't have because it was mid afternoon. I was like, oh, <laughs> and it instantly, it, I felt it warm me blood. It's yeah. straight around my system, and it was oh, it tasted so good. Yeah, yeah. It's very nice. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. That that that, and I hadn't thought of it that way. That actually, you're tasting all the botanicals yeah. that are watered down in in regular strength gin question 10 relates to our show on gin bottles names and labels right got it i need to get you a visual aid for this one okay fisher's gin originates from a small town on the suffolk coast in england when the bottle was being designed the designer parisian named gilbert lopez visited the area to get inspiration for the bottle. Following his visit, what two items related to fishing served as the main inspiration behind the bottle? Now, I'm going to show you a picture of the bottle. And for the for the listeners at home, you may want to Google Fisher's Gin Bottle if you're playing along. Matthew, I'll show you the bottle now. I'm going to say to you, ignore the actual logo in the middle and just look at the shape of the bottle and the design of the rest of the label. Is it a fishing net? It is a fishing net, yes. And the bottle shape was inspired by a fisherman's lantern. Ah, But that was obscure, so I'm going to give you that one. Where does number three London Dry Gin get its name? Specifically think of the fact that it's called number three. Not just three. Oh, is it the address where it's made? It is the address where it's made, yes. Um, It's made on uh, St James Street in London. The location has been the home of the distilling company since 1698. Good Lord. The makers of number three, Berry Brothers and Rudd, um, is the oldest wine and spirits merchant in London. Number three, St James Street, has been no stranger to visits from famous faces, uh, including the likes of the famous poet Lord Byron. Oh, good old mm. Byron. Yep. Byron's Warney Poos. He well, We've talked about Byron before, I think. Yeah. About the think fact that he had a bear in his room yeah. at Oxford University. Liked his gin as well. He liked his gin, yeah. Mad, bad and dangerous to know, that's right. Yeah. Okay, question 12 is on the topic of gin and food. Bradford's Chesterton's, Leopold Gin and Cold River Gin are all distilled from which unusual foodstuff? Seaweed. No. Um, One more guess. Potatoes. Yes, it is potatoes, yes. Prison gin. But essentially, yeah. Um, apparently they're very nice gins, but 
Potatoes can also give a very distinctive flavour, which some describe as kind of musty. Yeah. And because potatoes have a great deal of impurities, um, oh. yeah, you've got to do it right. Yeah. To get it right, but um, yeah, apparently these are these are these are decent gins. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to try them. I'm yeah. Hoping to try black tomato soon. Yes, absolutely. I had a look at the expensive bottles. And I thought, no, not yet. Yeah. And on the same subject, question 13, Chilgrove Dry Gin, Foxhole Gin and Dapper Gin are all distilled from what? It's a fruit. Apples. No. I could have included Pomegranate. another in here. But it would have made it too easy for you. Grapes. Grapes, yes. Grapes. <laughs> That's very, very generous, Quizmaster. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't get that. I'm not. I'm not accepting the point. Oh no! You get. You've got the point, whether you like it or not. Oh. Grapes. I was going to include Osmos in that, but we've got a bottle in the cabinet, and yes. you know fine well what that's made from. A foxhole as well. We have got a little bottle of foxhole yes, actually. Uh, yeah. Got so many gins now. Yeah, and we could have tried that tonight if I hadn't been in general physical agony. Oh, here we go. Still going on about it. Question number 14 is on the topic of gin and medicine. Aha! Juniper has been used as a herb for human health for many centuries. Certainly has. Good old Junes. Yeah, but what surprising application does it have in relation to animal health? Now, think about what we said earlier in the religious section about the idea of protection. Oh yes, it's... Doesn't it... Isn't it like an insect repellent? Yes. Yes. Please. There you go. You can buy natural animal flea collars that contain juniper. Again, on the topic of gin and health, alcohol can decrease the quality of your sleep. It will usually help you get to sleep more quickly, but it will diminish the actual quality of your sleep throughout the night. On that basis, how many hours before bedtime should you stop drinking alcohol in order for it not to affect your sleep? 14 minutes. That's how you do it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I've just finished alcohol and it's nearly bedtime. Mm. Um, Is it two hours? It is, yeah. Yeah. Around two to three hours before bedtime. I mean, the timing actually varies according to like your own rate of metabolism, your age, your sex, your weight, other circumstances. Mm. But as a general rule of thumb, it takes one hour for one serving of alcohol to be metabolised. Therefore, say you've had two drinks, wait a couple of hours and your sleep will be, in the main, unaffected by the alcohol. Mm. Or less, certainly less affected. That's a tip. Yeah. Now, these last two questions... I looked up the most common queries on Google recently. Now, we did this last time, we did the gin quiz, and I pretty much burnt up all of the common questions on Google. But there was two I didn't include last time. Mm-hmm. And one is, can tonic water help you sleep? Didn't even know this was a thing? No. Can tonic water help you sleep? Let is that think. true or false? That is true, Sears. It's false. Bullshit. <laughs> This quiz is bullshit. (laughs) No, I'm afraid quinine for a time was prescribed for nocturnal leg cramps, but the side effects could be severe and even dangerous, so it's no longer prescribed for that. And in any case, there's not enough quinine in modern-day tonic to have an effect anyway. So, no. So, quinine, eh? Hmm. Okay, 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 okay. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt. So... Can you get quinine separately now? Still, don't think so. Is it a deadly poison? It's pretty, yeah. Is it pretty deadly? Yeah, it's pretty deadly. And the last question, which is another common gin-related question in Google, mm-hmm. which is a depressing question if you ask me, but will gin make you fat? Hmm. In fact, I'm going to rephrase this question, Matthew. Approximately how many calories are there in a shot of neat gin? Some. Correct. Yes. <laughs> well done. 12. It's 80 calories in a shot. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems a lot. Yeah. That's about the same as in a boiled egg. So the answer to how many calories is in a shot of gin uh, is who cares, really? Yeah. Just have a gin. Just have a gin. Yeah. But, yeah, it's about 80. 80? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Uh, okay, that brings us to the end of the great big gin, gin quiz. quiz. Uh, how many did I get? Um, Lords, yes, Lords. <laughs> I win! Yay! Yay! Well done, me. And if you got more than me, you're lying. It's outtakes time, it's bloopers, it's uh, gag reels, whatever you want to call them, and specifically episode 13. 14. 14. Which, you know, 13's meant to be the unlucky one, but yes. this was episode 14. We skipped it on to 14, where Sarah managed to forget how to talk I properly. don't know what went wrong with me that day. It was very hot. It, w- it was quite hot. Yes. Um, and you were stuttery. I was a bit stuttery. I think what it was, it was the episode that was on um, prohibition and crime in Al Capone. I think the spirit of Al Capone came and yeah. uh, took away my power of speech because... Hilariously. I mean, it was funny, but this episode went so wrong. So <laughs> here we've got a small collection of just a few of the things that went wrong in this episode. I couldn't include them all because, like, we'd have been here all yeah, afternoon. That would have been the episode, just laughing at Sarah's foibles. Yeah, it's the longest ever reel that I've, we've had. Oh, my God, See, it's happening it's again. A, it's happening again. <laughs> anyway, into the bloopers. <laughs> So this cocktail combines gin, lemon juice, club soda, mint and sugar syrup. And it's named after the South Shide. The South Shide? The South yes. Shide. The South Shide. Yes. Oh. So Capone's gang smuggled... Oh my word, what is wrong with me today? His gang smuggled in a gin that was much harsh, harsher... Oh my oh, word! What is happening? <laughs> yeah, I'll do the rest of this podcast. <laughs> now... Capone's favourite drink was actually Templeton Rye. So he was a whiskey drinker. No one who was villain. No one who was evil. Yeah. I mean, can you call why risky? <laughs> why risky? Well, because it, it, wow. it was an illegal pursuit, wasn't it? It could also cause blindness and nerve damage. And what's more, it couldn't, it couldn't be completely moved. Oh, my God. And not only that, but it couldn't actually be completely removed in the redistribution. A cup of tea or something. Do we start the whole thing again? Let's just, do you know what? Fucking let's bang on. Let's bang on. Let's bang on. Come on. <clears throat> now, industrial alcohol was more... <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I'm really keen to find out. Now, industrial... Oh, for fuck's sake. That was my fault. So, let's go back to early 1920s Chicago now. So, the Jenner Brothers gang went around Little Italy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I think I've got a dry mouth. <laughs> the Jenner Brothers gang went around Little Italy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Jenner Brothers gang It's <laughs> gonna practice Little Italy. Little, little Italy. Just could you just not look at me for a minute? <laughs> so the Jenner Brothers gang went around Little Italy giving out that I can do it. Yep. Okay. So the Jenner Brothers gang went around. I <laughs> knew <laughs> you were gonna fail. A gang called. Christ. <laughs> if I reword it, my help. So in Little Italy, the Jenner Brothers gang went round giving out hundreds of one-gallon copper alki cookers or stills. So I'm just going to bring it. Ne- ne- oh my god! Whip 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 whip. Are you stalling? <laughs>
Now, it's time for an interview, and this week we spoke to our friends in Missouri, the South City Gin Club. We really wanted to, we've been wanting to speak to these guys for ages. Yes, they are absolutely delightful, and they get in touch with us all the time, and they're really nice, and we wanted to involve them in the podcast. Yes, and now is the perfect opportunity, because they meet once a month in a bar called The Gin Room. Now, The Gin Room is a contender for best gin bar in the world so now was the perfect time to talk to them find out what they get up to in their gin club what the gin room's like and what kind of gins are coming out of america at the moment Mm -hmm. what the trends are what to look out for and they did not disappoint So I'm here talking to the guys from South City Gin Club. Hi guys. Hello. We wanted to talk to you today because firstly, we know that you guys are massive gin enthusiasts and very, very knowledgeable. So we're hoping to get some uh, lowdown from you on the gin scene over there. Um, but I also understand that you frequent one of the bars on the list of uh, competitors for the best gin bar in the world. Is that right? Yes, we are so excited that that's our hangout spot that one. So it is a small bar that is located in a family restaurant. And the daughter, Natasha, uh, the gin girl on all social media, is a huge fan of gin. So she took her love of that and created this little pop-up bar that's now permanent in the, in the Cafe Natasha's restaurant called The Gin Room. I'm imagining this kind of um, tiny little speakeasy style bar tucked away in a hidden corner of a restaurant. What's, what's it actually like? Oh, it's magical. It's on a very busy street. So if you walk by, it's all windows, and you look in, and you can see the bar glowing with over 300 gin bottles on the back of the bar lit up, kind of inviting you to come in and see what's going on. And so you guys meet there? Yeah, we started the gin club there by being neighbors and friends that kept drinking there and uh, decided to start a club because we were there all the time. Okay, so is the first rule of South City Gin Club that you don't talk about South City Gin Club? Or can you tell us more about it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll we'll let you in on a secret. Um, All the initial members were neighbours first, and the gin bar was in our neighbourhood. And I think most of us, when we moved to the neighbourhood, kind of was like, oh, gin's not our thing, we don't like it, but we heard the food was really good. So we went there... And I know the first time that I went there, I, I met Natasha, and I was like, Natasha, I don't like gin. What do you got for me? And then she gave me a gimlet, and I was like, oh, my, this is the best thing. <laughs> what is going on? So, uh, yeah, we became regulars, and she would often often have um, industry events for uh, other, you know, restaurant people around the neighborhood. And uh, one night was a event for assistant gin, and Natasha's really good about giving a few extra tickets away to neighbors or something. She let us dummies in, and uh, we were in the back just trying to blend in, and I know, like, the, the rep was, was asking a bunch of questions that were like, oh, man, we have no idea how to answer any of these questions. We're in so over our heads. The one question that the, the rep asked, that I was like, I think I could answer this one. He was like, well, how do you like the gin? And I was like, oh, I got this. It, you know, it, it tastes good. It is a good gin. But I, luckily, another industry guy beat me to the punch, and he started to Describing the mouthfeel and the finish, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm so that, that um, yeah, I'm so glad I was not called here." We we had this experience, and then the rest of the night was an open bar with Dip Smith cocktails, and there was stuff like you know fancy cocktails with egg whites and stuff, and stuff that I don't know if we really had or experienced or knew what it was all about. So we we left there uh, a, a little drunk, maybe, and a lot of drunk, a lot of drunk, <laughs> and we're like, "This was awesome," but we wish we knew. Like, there was, like, this space to learn where we all could be, like, made fun of for, like, not knowing anything about either cocktails or gin or spirits in general. So, stumbling back to our houses, we're like, let's, let's start a club. And that's how it happened. That's amazing. So, the Gimlet was your gateway drug, as it were, followed by yeah. Sipsmiths, which is a great choice. I quite like the fact that you say that you got into this with no idea 
the tasting techniques were and mouthfeel and all that because that's very much where we're coming from as well particularly me I mean Matthew's a great taster I'm an absolutely terrible taster and for me it's just like oh I like the taste of that I don't really know why but uh, but I'd really like it so I think that's fantastic and I think that's one of the great things about gin is that it's not an exclusive club that's that's a, it's an everyman drink yeah i think so and yeah we definitely as we learn more we still pride ourselves on being like at our core just a bunch of newbies who don't like don't really know what we're doing but we know that it tastes good so. yeah so what new things have you discovered recently so we really like playing around with local gins here and it's pretty surprising that st louis and missouri in itself has some really great gins so we have our official meeting, and a lot of it is we get a bottle of gin, and we taste it, we fill out these questionnaires, um, and then we taste the rest of it home, and we get to play and experiment. So for me personally, I love making syrup. And so mostly it's just trying to take weird things that we may not be comfortable with and making it attainable and fun to drink and to share. So we're... We're forcing this on a lot of our friends and families, too. Like, look, I made this. I made a bottle. I'm bringing it with us, and we're going to drink it. I'll ask you about gins in a minute then, but I'm interested in these concoctions that you're making. What what kind of weird things have you made then? Um, so we have our farmer's market here in St. Louis in Tower Grove Park, which is our backyard park. And you just go in there and finding whatever's fresh and looks really weird, and then buying that and figuring out what to do with it. Like, I didn't know there was a thing called donut peaches. They look like little butts. So I mixed that with basil and make a syrup with that and put it in basically everything. Wow. And then this summer, I started making boozy popsicles with that. So wow. it feels like I got a fruit serving and I made a really cool cocktail that's fresh. It's really good. Super healthy. So healthy. So do you actually infuse gins with this syrup or do you just use it as a kind of a cocktail syrup that you would kind of pour into the mix when you're when you're actually mixing the cocktail? More like the cocktail syrup. Mm-hmm. But I will say something that I'm doing right now and I just finished is I am infusing gin with those chalky Valentine's candies, those candy hearts that have the little fangs on them. I've been infusing gins with that and I'm actually, we're going to be launching that this week on our that sounds amazing going back to gins that you've tried and and gins that you love what is the gin scene like there in st louis missouri and the midwest of the states generally what what's the gin scene like there and are there any hidden treasures that we should know about so i think overall in the midwest the gin scene is, is a little slower uh, moving than maybe like the coastal cities like la or new york but it's catching on relatively quickly for a while, people here have been drinking beer. Spirits are just kind of like a like a tool to get them drunk. When I ask them, ask them about gin, they'll tell me that it's kind of the grandma's drink and it tastes like pine trees. So it still has a kind of a negative stereotype, but uh, it's slowly, those people that I'm meeting are, are becoming fewer and farther between. Uh, Natasha and her gin bar puts on a uh, festival called Gin World every year. It's this huge like amusement park of gin, basically. It's glorious. So, like, just educating the population that gin is has a bunch of different flavors besides, uh, you know, pine trees that old ladies drink. And uh, there's a bunch of really good uh, distilleries around here as well. Uh, one called Still 630. Um, the guy, Dave, who runs it's really great. And they have a, a, a regular gin and a navy strength. That we're drinking today. That's yeah, our cocktail. That, that our, yeah. So what's the flavor profile of that? Because I haven't tried many American gins and... I have heard that over there, the more popular gins are those that are perhaps less botanical, juniper-led gins, and less of the kind of the herbal, like you say, the kind of the pine-flavoured sort of stuff. Is that right? I think a lot of the gins around here do kind of stay true to the London Dry style. Um, I don't know if it's because, you know, it's newer here than it is in the UK and such. Um, so we do get a lot of London drive by. 
But then I feel like we get so many cool, funky spin-offs, too, that, like, I bring back some gins from Minnesota, and then we have one that's a chipotle pineapple gin or a strawberry rhubarb gin, which is kind of fun and weird. But for the ones we're drinking today from Still 630, which I just got to say, if you can have a distillery as a best friend, it probably would be Still 630 for us. We spend a lot of time here with them and their crew. Because I'll say their bullshit folly is their basic gin, and it, it's pretty floral, actually. I think, a little peppery. So I mixed it with a strawberry rhubarb soda tonight, and I did love it. But then with the Navy strength, it actually was pretty cool. Yeah, they also, another a trend that I've seen originally with stuff is uh, a lot of people have been barely aging gins around here. Yeah, one of my favorites right now that's because it's so weird um, and cool is a distillery here called 1220 Spirit. 1220, yeah. They're barrel aging their gin in ginger liqueur barrels, so like a ginger spirit liqueur, um, and then they're they're running their gin through there and bottling it out, and it has like a really warm spice to it and kind of tangy. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing more barrel aged gins recently, and I don't know if that's just because I've started noticing them more, or whether this is something that worldwide is really starting to grow as a trend but that's interesting that you say that that you're noticing um locally to you that there are more and more uh, of them yeah i was, I was wondering i was so that was interesting yeah because i was wondering too if it was like is this a is this just am i just noticing this or is this happening is this a bigger trend because they're good and i think I've, I've introduced them a lot to people who maybe are more like whiskey drinkers and it seems like a good gateway for them so It's really interesting that you say that gin there has a kind of a bit of an old lady vibe about it because that's very much something that was prevalent here right up until very, very recently. You know, it was something that your your grandmother would bring out of the cupboard and have a Gordon's with, with a slice of lemon. But it sounds like the tide is starting to turn. I think... Certainly, you know, as a Brit, when we imagine uh, the American booze scene, you think of you think of beer, you think of whiskey. So it's interesting to see that that gin is really starting to catch on and that, you know, things like this, um, this festival that you've got going on locally, you know, is really is really encouraging people to try new things. I'm going to ask each of you, what are your personal favorite gins and why? All right. So this is Jen. I'll go first. It's really hard. So right now I'm loving this gin I got from my home state of Minnesota, which is very far up north, (laughs) um, right below Canada. And there's a distillery there called Bikre. That's B-I-K-R-E. And it's from like this tiny shipping town in northern Minnesota on one of the Great Lakes. And they use a lot of local botanicals to keep it true um, to kind of the flavor profiles up there. Um, and it's just very, I have three bottles I brought back and they're just really cool and really unique. Um, and I just love that it kind of gives me a taste of home. Um, and then I mentioned earlier, the other one that I absolutely am really interested in right now is that 1220 Spirit, their barrel agent. Mm. Because there's not a ton you with a very gingery vibe of gin. Mm. Um, so it's been kind of fun playing and seeing what works with that. So what does work with that then? Mostly like on ice. Like maybe with some club soda, uh, honey and lemon's really cool. So maybe a spin on a hot body in a way. Okay. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. And the people that make it, um, actually funny is, the distillery is actually a brewery here that's a really popular local brewery called Forehands. Um, and then they just started branching out and launched a gin last year. Um, and now they're doing the barrel age. And then they're going to start, they start canning gin and tonics with their gin. Um, so it's kind of fun to like be there the entire way. And yourself, Robbie? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was equally worried about this question. Because I, <laughs> the first thing, <laughs> the first thing, 
thing I wrote down was that I'm a gin dumpster and I will just drink anything and appreciate it for what it is. I'm pretty but, much uh, with you on that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for, um, I mean, not only are like the, our local uh, Till 630, their original gin ball sets falling, A, because it's, it's super good, and then B, because it's like, oh, I know the guy that makes that, he's great. Um, <laughs> and I always, always have an affection, I feel like I've been easily influenced because I also have a big affection for Zipsnip because yeah. of that really fantastic party that they let me sneak into and drink all their drinks at. <laughs> I don't know if I can take a favorite one, though, just because it's, yeah, I'm the same way with food or any other, like, you know, beer or whatever. It's just like, I can I can appreciate this for what it is. I'm just not a picky guy, but I, I, love, I love trying all the different things. Yeah, and I think it depends on your mood as well, doesn't it? And it depends on the season. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now I realise that's a that's a bit of an asshole question to ask, but I really appreciate you trying to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and here's an even more asshole question. Um, so what is your least favourite gin and why? I don't know if I would have a least favourite. I am... Often when given, like, the stronger gins or the maybe savoury gins, I say that tastes burning or hot, and I don't necessarily love that. Mm. Um, I don't drink the savory cocktails. I don't like all of so I'm the worst person in the world for, you know, dry martinis or whatnot. One thing I don't like either is the gins that are flavored after the fact. So Absolutely. any gins are so cool because you can use all these botanicals to make what you want out of it. So when you do that and then you just, like, squirt in some flavor into the bottle and you're like, here's an orange gin or here's a strawberry gin. I just feel like we should be better. That was actually my least favorite too because it just feels like, uh, it's like the same those vodkas with like the cotton candy vodka. Right. You just mm. feel like you're at like a sorority party or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like the ones that are just novelty gins, I guess. Okay, well, yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for your very diplomatic answers to that, to that question. I think my, (laughs) my least favourite was Unicorn Tears, which we did a tasting on the podcast, and it was the worst thing that I've ever tasted ever. It was awful. It had glitter in it. Yes, ex- exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, now my last question was going to be about your gateway gin that made you think gin is my drink now. Now, Robbie, you've kind of answered this because you said that, well, firstly, the, the, uh, was it the Gimlet cocktail? What was the cocktail you said? Yeah, the Gimlet. And then, of course, Sipsmith's was the specific gin that really made you um see gin in a different light um but jen what 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 about yourself what was your first experience of really loving a gin um so i was at the gin room not surprising mm-hmm. um picking up takeout food and they had uncle Val, which is um out of oregon i believe um mm. and they were doing a tasting and they have like kind of a a pepper gin and a regular gin and a botanical gin. And I tried the botanical gin and I totally fell in love with it because it tasted like Fruit Loops in a way, but like not <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Um, and so after, that was the first bottle of gin I bought on my own because I was like, this is so good. I can just drink this with club soda. Again, I don't have a lot of stuff in my apartment because I don't cook. So mm. I was like, I can just have bottles of club soda in this gin and I'll be ready at any time to entertain myself. Um, so that was my first gin that I kind of tried and found on my own. Um, but I think my first cocktail, like Robbie's was a gimlet. Mine was a bee's knees. I loved it, the bee's knees. What is a bee's knees? Oh, it is gin, lemon, and honey. And so a lot of places make their own like honey syrup to go in it, but it's real good. And it's actually not to go back to local again, but... Um, our, one of our distilleries we love, still 6.30, is canning a Bee's Knees cocktail this year. Um, and I'm really excited to try that because that's one thing we don't have a lot here, are canned cocktails, especially canned gin cocktails mm. that taste So I'm excited to see how this goes. I, well, I'm, I'm going to go and mix myself a Bee's Knees, I think. It sounds absolutely incredible. So fresh lemon juice, gin and honey, that's it? Any garnish? 
Yeah, with, with a garnish of lemon peel around the edge. Yeah. Nice. That sounds incredible. Sounds sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So, when's your next meeting? We meet every month, and it's not a set time. Um, we kind of just work on what's available on schedule. And we actually just this year opened up the gin club to anybody that wanted to come. Now, for February, we're going to go off-site and go to another bar um, that has a cool gin program and speak with them, you know, sample what they have, talk to their bartenders. We want to get out a little more, too, and learn other styles. So maybe we can learn some different things and tools and tricks. Sounds exciting. Let's hope it grows yeah. and grows. I know. We yeah. over the world pretty Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's amazing. Thank you guys so much for talking to us. You've been awesome. We love to hear what's happening over there and to meet, you know, people like yourselves and uh, you know, learn from learn from each other and I'm sure we'll we'll talk to you again very soon. But for now, I will let you get back to your amazing cocktails and thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. Well, that was fun. Yes. I love talking to those guys. I am devastated that I had to go to work. Yes, I know. That was a surprise gig that came out of the blue. Um, I do apologise for the sound quality there. This was entirely my fault because I decided to test the line about three minutes before our scheduled interview time and I had a horrible radio buzz on the line. So... The gins that Jen mentioned were um, Volstead's Folly, and that's the kind of floral, peppery gin that she mentioned. Uncle Val's Botanical Gin, which I'm very intrigued to try at some point. She also mentioned 1220 Spirits, and that was the barrel-aged gins with the more kind of spicy, gingery flavour. The Bee's Knees Cocktail, Lemon and Honey, that sounds incredible, Matthew. We have to make this on the show at some point. Next season, we're going to do a massive cocktails feature, I think. Yes, definitely. We don't try enough gin cocktails, because we love a bramble, but we're going to try more. So, yes, uh, if anyone wants to send us uh, cocktail recipes, gin-based cocktail recipes, yep. happy to do that. And also, hello, Game of Thrones cocktails again. Yes. Uh, we've been watching you. L- looking good. Looking good, yeah. Um, so, thanks again, uh, Jen and Robbie, and good luck with your next meeting, opening up the meetings to the wider public now. I hope you become the biggest gin club in the whole wide world. Ten templars a million. Yeah, and we hope to speak to you again soon. And the curtain comes down on season two. That's been so much fun. Uh, thank you very, very much to everyone who's appeared on the show. Uh, Sipsmiths, Mr. Hobbs Henley Gin, Cotswolds Gin, Newcastle Gin, Dobson and Parnell, Mr. Fezziwigs, Kitty Donnelly, who co-wrote one of our episodes, and South City Gin Club, of course. Thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. And thanks for everyone's interviews with us that will be coming up. And thanks... To all the gin companies that contributed in other ways, we have had some lovely deliveries, which we are very, very grateful for indeed. We have. We've had several companies tell us their stories, the stories behind their bottles and yeah. labels. All the information, very, very much appreciated. Helped yeah. us make the show what it is. And very dear to our heart, again, Mr. Luke Smith, who helped yes. us out a great deal. He's helped us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dubai Mason's Gin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thanks to all the... Um, the people who've reviewed us on Apple. Yes. Had some really nice reviews this If anyone season. wants to leave us a review, that would be delightful. We'd yes. really appreciate if, that. If you like us. If you like <laughs> us, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't, wait. Shh. <laughs> so we will be back soon. Yes. Soon. With even more. We've already recorded segments for the next season. Yes, we have. We've got interviews and we've got ideas and it's all going to come together. And if you want to be part of it, please, please, please get in touch with us by any social media. It's uh, Mother's Room Podcast on... Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram, at Mother's Room Pod on Twitter. Yeah. You can find us at www.mothersroompodcast.com. Yes, just send us any correspondence you want and let us know exactly what you want to do. If you want to be involved, we are delighted. Uh, the Gin Collection, the Mother's Room Podcast, 
gin cabinet is growing. In fact, it's it's spilt over out yeah. of the gin cabinet. It's on top of the gin cabinet now. <laughs> And it is 96 varieties, yes, now, I believe. Yes, and uh, next series we're going to sit and drink them with you. Yes, we are going to try as many gins as possible and we're going to rate every last one of them. Yeah, we intend to introduce you to Loch Ness Gin, uh, um, Shakespeare Gin. Uh, all the new, the new Cotswolds varieties. Yeah, two new Cotswolds to try. We're going to do a special on tonics and mixers yes we've got Lixa and Lixa we've got we're going to meet Lixa next for the next season we've got ready to drink specials and we're going to have another uh, tin gin world cup I think mm-hmm. something along the it's I mean everything if you think of something gin related we'll probably be doing it yeah yeah so thank you so much for listening and Indeed. we will see you in season three Woo-woo. thanks very much Mother's Room Podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Kotsier.